Welcome to the BNP Rome Podcast, Season 2. Once again, this is your host, Brian, and as always, thanks for joining me. Welcome to Episode 12. B is for bye-bye to the BNP Rome? Not so fast. And addressing collective trauma and the power of collective healing. Okay, folks. This episode is extra long because I wanted to share some thoughts on where this podcast may be going before going into a very juicy bit that I recorded last month on collective trauma and a workshop I participated in on that topic. Before we get to it, there is one small correction. I say that the Rebel Wisdom channel will be posting the collective trauma workshop to their YouTube page, but I don't think they are going to do that now. They've kept it within the community, and considering the very personal nature of the experience, I totally understand that decision. Still, I think I do a good job of giving some insight into why it was such a powerful experience without doing anything to violate the privacy of those involved. Okay, as I said, this is a long one, so without further ado, let's get on with it. Enjoy the show. So, I want to talk about listening and where this podcast is going. And then you're going to get a full episode that I recorded toward the end of November. (laughs) November, February. Let me set the scene right now. I'm sitting in my backyard, which is really not a very big backyard, but it's... uh, Peaceful, um, and uh, it's late afternoon. And according to my time passages app here, or wait, it doesn't say it on this. I learned this from somewhere else. Um, did I delete that? Well, anyway, according to what I learned earlier today. We will be, uh, well, the moon, or not the moon, but we got an hour left, basically. An hour left of this astrological year before the sun will be entering into Aries. So, it seems appropriate to me that this episode will be the last of this format strictly with the, the Riverside Ramblers, as I call them, although, as I said, I'm not at the river right now. Um, but I am rambling. So, and the spirit of the Riverside Rambler, as those of you who have been listening know, is me monologuing. And in fact, on the whole first season of the BNP Realm, you've never heard, well, I've never had a guest on the podcast. And that's about to change. Um, I think I mentioned this earlier this year that. I, my goal was to get guests on the show, um, and I've got a few people that have already agreed to come on, but they're not big ticket names, they're just people that I know, that I like, that I respect, that I know I can have a good conversation with, and that I can learn from, and I think, well, knowing them, that 
they learn from me. And so it'll be a good dialogue. And I know as a podcast addict of going on all 15 years now, I believe I started in 20, 2006. I was going to say 2006, but that sounds weird, doesn't it? 2006. 2000, yeah, I think it was fall 2006. Um, but anyway, it's been 15, you know, over a decade and a half now. Um, I know that conversational podcasts are probably my favorite, but I do, you know, I I listen to different, all, all types, all types. But when you get two people in conversation, or three people, or, you know, but when you have a conversation... It, you have multiple perspectives and you can hear uh, people, like there's just a lot of room for growth and a lot of room for um, diversity of thought and yeah. So I'm planning to have some people on here, but, and this past week I've been feeling and this has been actually, this is a thought that goes back to season one of the BNP realm. And also my blogging last year, um, a sense of, not that I'm running out of things to say, but that unless I feel I have something to say, then there's no need to add my voice because the the information landscape is so polluted with people yakking. And that's great, but it can be information overload, you know. And I will say last year, I remember when I was getting near the end of uh, quitting my job, and I was like, all right, I'm going to have all this free time, and I'm going to be able to, you know really dive into all these different information spheres and then it didn't take me more than a month or so before I realized like there's just no what you can't take in all the information you know like and, and it's weird to think that I would that I would have to you know that that would be something I hadn't really been aware of but here's what I remember um so I'm a big fan of the band Fish and the Disco Biscuits, like, um, and with both of them, I had this thing in 2018, 2019, and with Fish, it goes back longer. With Fish, it goes back to, like, 2013 or so, where, you know, I've got this app where they release all their concerts, and each concert they play is, like, two and a half hours of music, and they'll have, like, a, you know a summer tour that's 20 shows long and then a fall tour that's 10 shows or whatever than a new year's. But the point is, is I, I was, I was obsessed about, I have to listen to every minute of every show, you know? And I remember, and, and then I started doing that with the disco biscuits too, in like 2017, 2018. Um, and I remember last year when the pandemic started and I realized all these shows are going to be canceled, feeling this sense of relief, like, okay, well that's one like in commitment to information that I, you know, I'm relieved of. And then I remember hearing people talk about how when the pandemic started and, you know, the first few, the first, when everybody was locked down, like all the podcasters out there, everybody was just putting out a ton of information and people were like feeling a little overwhelmed with that. And I remember 
going, yeah, I'm doing that too. You know, because these were, they were historic times and then all of a sudden I had all this free time. And so, you know, and I had to go to school, you know, during the week, even though I had nothing to do there. So I was like, all right, I'm going to record a podcast. Might as well put a bonus episode out. Um, but then what happened as, you know, as I started, ha- this started dawning on me, I had this experience where I went up to, uh, a stream and I was eating lunch and I had this kind of metaphor pop in my mind. I was like, I can, I had a plastic bottle or something. And I was thinking if I throw this plastic bottle in this stream and then it's going to go into the river out there, then the river is going to flow all the way down into Tokyo Bay. And then that connects to the Pacific ocean. And I, I saw this as the metaphor for, um, the information ecology and like how each of us are on this stream up in the hills, you know, that's our own social media or, you know, our ability to make a podcast or whatever. And if we just overwhelm it with crap, then the ocean becomes full of crap and then nobody can really make sense of anything because we just, there's just too much crap to wade through, you know? So the point is you have to, become a lot more discerning and I think conscious about what you're putting into the ocean. And, uh, so yeah, that's, uh, that, that really, it was interesting for me just because I was, you know, I had this plan of like, I'm going to go into doing media and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, I'm going to go back in my journalism career, write a book and all this. And like, that was my 2020 plan. And then 2020 had different plans for me. And it was like, no, actually you're not. And that's okay. And there's already enough media out there. And I remember my parents, I said, I sent them this, uh, it was a link to when Joe Rogan had, um, Crystal and Sagar on from, from rising on his show and I told my parents I'm like these two are really great young journalists and I think you guys would enjoy this and they watch they they watch it you know and it's like a Rogan show it was like two hours and I didn't watch it all but um I don't know how much they watched I think they watched 45 minutes or so I think I made it like an hour and 10 into it um but they said to me like they said yeah we really enjoyed them but there's just so much talking out there right now and I was like this is like an early, I think in June. And I was like, yes, I really, really do understand that. Um, that it's too much. And then we just, we feel overwhelmed. Everybody's feeling overwhelmed by all the information. So, um, so I'm facing this decision in my mind. Like, do I continue these weekly ramblers and what's the purpose of them? And, you know, this week, usually I record these, on Wednesday or Thursday morning, it's usually been Thursday morning. It's been pretty common. Um, but like this week I went out and like nothing, no topics were coming to mind. And then I was just kind of like, I, I did record a couple things, but it was just me not really speaking to anything I thought was all that interesting. It was me, you know, and I just thought, you know, I just want to listen. Like, do I really want to, do I feel I need to keep this thing going? And then it was, you know, I've been thinking about how this is the end of the year, you know, and the, we go by the astrological cycles, you know, the end of, you know, winter's in spring is starting here. Um, and I'm starting this new job 
in a couple of weeks. These two new jobs, all the other ones are a little bit later in April. But um, and so I'm transitioning, and I'm feeling a little bit like okay, I'm, you know, my time is going to be a little more limited. And yeah, this served a purpose. I wanted to record these once a week, and so I have. So this is a long way of saying that uh, I'm going to continue the podcast. I'm not sure. If it's, I'm probably just going to keep the name as it is. Um, you know, I was going to change it to the Quantum Rambler podcast, but now I'm like, I still might. I like that title. Um, but, you know, I got to do cover art for that, uh, which is, you know, anyway. Um, but going forward, like there might be a there might be a week break. I might have a break here. I'm not sure I'm going to put it out next week, but um, I do have someone who has agreed to have a chat with me um, soon. But going forward, I want to do maybe not every week, and when I do them, I'm going to have them be conversations. Uh, Because I'll I'll end with this. Um, Earlier this week, I think it was Monday or Tuesday, uh, an old friend, like one of my, kind of one of my core, a group, I had a group of like five or six kind of core friends in high school, and he was in that group, a fellow Brian, misspells his name though, with an I, idiot. (laughs) Um, He and I haven't really talked that much on social media, but somehow he came onto my page and was disagreeing with me about one of my political um, comments and then we got into this conversation where I was you know make trying to make my points and he was making his and I was getting frustrated and finally I was like you know I'm just not feeling that this Facebook um, platform is the best place to have these kind of conversations a lot of the time and he agreed and I was, so I said like, I was like well you know it'd be fun to just chat on Zoom or something and he was like yeah sure so anyway Yesterday, he and I had a Zoom chat for two and a half hours. And the funny thing is, like, we were, you know, we we kind of made this, we should talk about politics, you know, face to face. And then we spent two and a half hours talking and we didn't even (laughs) talk about politics once. And that was great. That was fine. Um, And I just sent him a message today saying, hey, man, we never got around to the politics. But... Um, you know, we kind of, we agreed like, yeah, let's do this talk again. Let's talk again sometime. This was fun. <coughs> and, you know, recently I've been doing all this podcast has been heavily influenced by my membership in the rebelism community and the zoom calls there. And in those, you know, these things are usually they're like 40 to 50 people. And but then they'll have us go in these breakout rooms and sometimes they're one on one. Sometimes, you know, sometimes there's three people, four people, usually not more than four, maybe five. Um, and like like today I was in one and I it, they had two separate breakout rooms and they were one on one. And I just really like that. You know, I like the ability to connect with people. And so with this technology, you know, here I am in Japan, but I can have people on like the guy the guys i talked to today the two guys i talked to today one was in morocco and the other one was in portugal you know like how cool is that right um 
I think the guy, other guy was in Portugal. I didn't, I think he said that before, but anyway, I didn't confirm that. But the other guy was like, yeah, he like, his screen froze and I was like, you're frozen. I can't hear, see you. And I was waiting and the breakout room was like, you got one, you know, 60 seconds. The clock was ticking. And finally he came back. He's like, yeah, I'm in Morocco right now. And you know, there's like 30 seconds left. And then I wanted to talk to him about that. I was like, oh, Morocco, man. I've And I told him, I said, I've always wanted to go there. And He's like, well, I'm in Casablanca. He's like, I wouldn't recommend Casablanca, but Marrakech is great. And like, and then it was like five seconds after I was like, all right, let's talk again, you know. Um, and so, you know, I want to have people on my podcast who are just regular people that, you know, I can chat with somebody who I meet over whatever, you know, I'm like, um, and I'm very good at conversation. Like, it's just, it's a skill I have, and it's one of the reasons I, you know, I was good at journalism. So, but, excuse me, um, but I, uh, much as I love the podcast where people, you know, they have this person's an MIT professor, and, you know, people who are, you know, really excelled in a field or whatever, and, you know, like, much as I appreciate that, I also love listening to podcasts of just people who are just people, you know, that aren't famous. And so I want to kind of give voice to that because I'm not famous. I'm just a guy. But I think I'm reasonably, you know, I'm an interesting person and I know a lot of interesting people. So that's kind of the goal of where this podcast is going. Um, this last one, like I said, after this, you're going to get a 37-minute regular Riverside Rambler, but I just wanted to chat a little bit about this, kind of give a meta perspective on what I'm trying to do with this podcast and kind of my thought processes. Thought processes. <laughs> um, and I'm just enjoying sitting out here tonight because it's overcast today, which is kind of unusual, but not, I mean, well... Winter, it's unusual, but we're moving into spring now, so we're getting more variety in the in the weather. Um, but it's overcast, but there's like really still, and the temperature is a really cool, pleasant, you know, 50s Fahrenheit. I'm not going to translate that in a Celsius. Learn the damn system, people. <laughs> um, 15, just call it 15 Fahrenheit or Celsius. Um, and I'm sitting here in my jacket and a light jacket and just, it's, it's pleasant. It's not, you know, and because there's no wind, I can just sit here and talk and I know it's going to sound fine. Okay. I think, uh, yeah, like I said, there's enough coming up after this. So that is the long ass intro and, uh, overview. So, uh, thanks for listening to this overview and enjoy the rest of the show on well, you'll see. It's on collective trauma, but it goes into a lot of other stuff, which I have to listen to again because I'm not sure <laughs> where all it goes. But anyway, enjoy the show. And uh, yeah, next time you're going to hear me and someone else. And we're going to go from there. All right. Okay. Good morning, everyone. It is Thursday morning here. February 24th, 2021, just past 9 o'clock here in uh, central Japan. Let's double check that. Indeed, yep. 
and uh, sitting at my park bench trying to find a good location for the wind and I believe I have um, we'll give this a go now there are many topics I could go into today my brain does feel a little bit desirous of going in all sorts of directions and uh, that is what I generally do on this podcast but I'm going to speak to the topic of at least here in the start uh, collective trauma because I was just well not just but this morning between 5 and 6 30 a.m. A couple hours ago on a Rebel Wisdom community call with a man who does work in that field, healing trauma and collective trauma. And it's a topic that's really interesting to me because I was pondering how our culture... Okay, let me start here. Gabor Mate, who was also on one of these calls a few weeks back, has done a lot of really excellent work into uh, the nature of addiction. And one of the things I think I've kind of misheard from him, but maybe I have. I'll just say that what, what I've heard from him is that addiction is based uh, results from childhood trauma. And I still think that there's a lot of truth to that. Um, and he says the solution to addiction or the opposite of addiction is not sobriety, but connection. That also feels very true to my experience of uh, going through addiction. And but what I felt some pushback with that framing on was that even when I went through Alcoholics Anonymous in the late 1990s, I pushed back on the idea of the genetic disease model because we looked into my family history and we couldn't find anyone in my family that had uh, alcoholism or drug abuse. And that's not to say they didn't exist, but so that gave me just question it. Like, is this really true? Is it genetic? And I've done some work looking into that and I'm pretty feel pretty certain that that is not the case. And I think Mate has it more correct that it is a psychological, spiritual uh, condition and has to do with emotion and it's not something that's in our genes per se, um, but it is in our memory. And so I'm feeling my way toward this here a little bit. Um, but my childhood compared to a lot of, you know, he talks about all the addicts that he's worked with and how all of them had these childhood, you know, difficult childhoods and stuff. And that wasn't my childhood experience, um, at least on the surface. Like, I had and have two loving, supportive parents. Um, we didn't have, like, we had a house, stable house, stable financial situation, um, like I had in a lot, I grew up in the 1980s in America, so the culture felt, as a whole, felt more stable, um, just all, and this is all, I mean, I'm, I was going to say on the surface, but, you know, just looking at these, these metrics, that's a word that comes up, but, um, 
these factors I'm you know I, I don't feel into like I didn't have an abusive father or mother I didn't have a parent die we didn't move around a lot we weren't economically challenged you know like all these things that you hear about and so I had this sense of kind of like you know Mate has done all this great work with you know thousands of people addicts and stuff and he's written books and in full disclosure I have not read them although I would like to um so there was a sense of me like well I don't think my childhood was very traumatic so again I was like questioning his conclusions right and then I went through and I, I have spoken about this in an earlier episode this season can't remember which one but um this summer or this past summer in 2020 i finally felt that i had the space to feel into what i went through in the 90s with my drug addiction and as that was happening concurrently it was also after the george floyd situation and the discussion around racial justice and America's history and going even deeper, colonialism, you know, all of that. And I started feeling that much of my wounds, much of my trauma was not really my own lived experience per se, but connected to this collective experience. And I started remembering how in the 1990s when I was in college, I started learning kind of the more, the American, the Howard Zinn American history model um, from the, the history of America and the world from the point of view of the victims, not from the, the winners. You know, it's the kind of postmodern model as opposed to the modern model, which I learned in high school. Um, and, well, not high school, but as a kid in the American education system. And I went to good, my public schools I went to are some of the, at the time it was one of the most highly regarded public school districts in the state of Washington. So I always feel, and I still do feel this, grateful for my schooling. Um, but I, it was a very, that, that time it was a very, you know, Columbus was a hero and George Washington, you know, all these from the perspective of the winners, right? And then in college, I started getting this other perspective. And my, my, my studying political science and taking courses on like Russian history and, you know, the history of broadening beyond America started seeing into how the winning that America had been doing had caused losing and feeling guilt over that. Um, you know, they call it white guilt. They call it white, you know, well, I didn't associate it with being a man, but, you know. And remembering a conversation my parents had had with me when I was talking to them about all this on one of my visits back home from college, because, you know, I went to school in L.A., was from Washington, and my parents telling me, don't take the weight of the world on your shoulders. And yet I did. I did. And that did lead me to needing to soothe the pain of that in some way and so that led me into my drug addiction so now on this call this morning one of the gifts I was able to see 
or experience, not see, but experience, was that trauma, and this is the meta, one of the many metaphors that this um, person, Thomas Hubble, H-U-B-L, um, I'm not sure what psychologist, what his title is, or, um, but was that the metaphor he used was that trauma, it's like a hundred pages of a book squished down into one page and part of the job of unpacking it is giving that letting that page breathe out into a hundred pages so giving it space and so as he he did two kind of examples with two of the members in the community and it was really powerful to experience and with the second person in the community, a woman who's become a, a friend of mine, one of my first kind of friends in this community, um, she got to kind of talking kind of fast, and at one, and he slowed her down. He said, "Let's take some time to breathe into this." And so I'm doing that a little bit here, because I'm cognizant of the fact that I'm recording a monologue. And I know when I listen to podcasts where it's a monologue, sometimes a person will pause and I'll wonder, oh, did I just lose power on my speakers or did my phone accidentally pause or, you know, something happened, you know, is there a malfunction, a technical malfunction? And so when I do these monologues, I'm trying to keep talking at you (laughs) because I don't want to lose you but when we're talking in this topic there's a sense of needing to slow down and this ties into kind of my experience last summer because it dawned on me one day and if i've spoken to this before in past episodes and you've heard it i apologize but i don't know if i have about this experience but anyway one day i went on a a bike ride this is in june and I was listening to the Red Hot Chili Peppers album, One Hot Minute. I do think I've told this story, but um, anyway. And on that, and that, that's an album I associate very much with that era in the late 90s. Um, on that ride, I started realizing that I was now, because I wasn't working full time, and I had these days where I, I, at that time, I really had like, I had like one job that would be like once every week. I had, you know, I was teaching two of my, my students that I still have now. Um, it was like an hour a week and, you know, it took me three hours to prepare it or whatever. So four hours of work a week, I was really free. And having that freedom, having that time, um, allowed for, the space for these traumas and for these memories to come back through my body and through my experience. And I remember stopping on that bike ride like several times and like the music, you know, bringing back certain memories and like having to cry. And I remember at one point I was, you know, I didn't, I was on this public bike road and there weren't that many, there weren't, there was practically nobody around, but I remember crying so hard that I had to kind of like a, like a crab, like use my, my arms to cover my head because I didn't want anybody that might come upon me to see me or, you know, I, I just want, I needed that safety. I needed that sense of, I have to cry this out right now, but 
I don't want someone to, to see me doing it. And interestingly, in this person's call on the on the, the chat, which I the, the community, they will be putting this online, but it probably won't be for another couple of weeks. Um, anyway, she he was asking her a lot about like, how does this feel like, like he was saying you start, there's kind of three levels. You start with the mental and then you go into the feeling and then you go into the body. And so when he was talking about how does this feel in your body? And then she was, she said she, she felt into it. She's like, I want to hold into like myself and kind of put my arms up and, you know, kind of pull in. And he was telling her like, that this was a thing to honor, like it was a survive. It was a natural when she was a child. She'd lost her father, and when she was like eight, and like this was a natural thing for her to do. It was her. It was her surviving. It was her, you know, having this fear about I might not be able to live, and so pulling into yourself and creating that boundary, and to honor that and not feel that that is that there's shame in that or that you need to be upset with the world outside of you for forcing this upon you like you're you're doing this as a just natural reaction to your experience and your environment and that connected with something that Gabor Mate had met, had said on the Russell Brand's podcast a few years ago, which was that people that use drugs and alcohol are using them as survival techniques, methods. Um, and I remember hearing that and like stopping on this beach on the, on the same bike path that, um, and feeling so happy to hear that because it was like it let me release some of the shame you know like I feel you know we feel shame for the for the ways that we you know for the aspects of our life and like for me like that shame of you know I was a heroin addict like you know, it's like that last fucking thing when I was a kid, or I don't think anybody when they're a kid is like, yeah, that, that's, a, that's a path I'll take, you know, because it, it's like, you know, I was telling a friend just yesterday, a couple of days ago or sometime this week that, you know, of all the things to get addicted to, like I chose the one that is like the most shamed in our society or, you know, and especially like. We have to, or we have to, we don't have to, but um, please remember with me that this is the 1990s. Like nowadays, there's still tons of shame around heroin, but we're 20 years, 25 years down the, down the timeline from that, and like the prescription opiate crisis has made it, I think has increased our cultural sensitivity and compassion for people who are addicted to opiates. Now, again, though, like, it's like, there's still that line people have between like, oh, prescription opiates versus heroin, you know? So it's still like, it's, uh, I still chose the one. I mean, I feel like heroin, crack, probably are the two that, you know, and I also used crack cocaine and like, 
It's never my favorite, but I did have some times where I enjoyed it, but in general, not a big fan. Because <laughs> it was such a short-lived experience, you know, like... Um, anyway. Or like, you know, you get high on heroin and you're high for a few hours, so like... You're done with it, you know? You, you soothe the pain or crack, it's like... You smoke it, you get like a minute, maybe two minutes of like this extreme pleasure or whatever, and like everything's gone and you're just in this... And then that goes away and then there's like 30 seconds of kind of coming back into yourself and then there's like this feeling like your heart's beating fast and you're like, I, I want to do that again, you know? And so it's like... Yeah, just a little bit too fast-paced for me as far as, like, you know, I'm trying to soothe this pain. I'm not trying to go up and down, up and down, up and down, up and down, you know. Um, anyway. But, yeah, the shame of, like, and another woman on the call, and again, I don't know if this part will be, I don't know, like, if those, this aspect of the talk will be made public or not would be put on the channel or not i don't know how they'll edit it um but she'd posted in the chat about feeling shame about her menstrual cycle and you know i was like i'd never even thought about that but it all started making sense to me and then she actually did she was the first one that did the kind of session with this man and what was really powerful about it was like there was this collective like we were all healing her and ourselves and it was like this field this inner it's hard to put into words because i think this is kind of a new a new thing the humanity is feeling into and doing and like this work this guy is doing is groundbreaking but i felt it i experienced it and every a lot of us were talking about how we experienced the feelings. Like the second lady, she talked about like, as she kind of processed it near the end, she was feeling this kind of warm, bub warm bubbles in her body. And I felt that. Like I was feeling, as she described it, I was feeling it too. It was, you know, and a lot of us said that. Like, yeah, like, and I, I thanked her. I was like, thank you for like the bravery of sharing what you did, but also thank you for the warm bubbles, you know. Um, and so the sense of the boundaries between us were um, definitely limited and or, or, or reduced and the power of that like and I felt so much calmer after it was like there was an intensity both these women cried and so it was like going through it was it, 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 I remember thinking at one point like this feels like sort of some of the experiences I had with psychedelics like that where the, the, the ego was was reduced and so all of a sudden I was feeling the collective and ah, anyway um, and so yeah it's uh, oh, really it was really really powerful and um and it ties into, okay, I, I want to speak to the session, the, yesterday's Rebelism, which was this thing, it was the fourth of four of these, and I only did the final two of this, uh, exploring the idea of emergence. And 
the person who put on that workshop, like that was a concept where you we would go into this space and she would talk, and she had a really soothing, calming voice, and it was a little bit hard for me. Yesterday I was a little better prepared for it, but like I I, I did feel like the, these calls from here at 5 a.m. So when someone starts talking in a really soothing, calming voice, and we're just you know, listening, like, it's hard, I start getting sleepy again, you know? <laughs> um, like, some of these rebelism calls are very intellectual and intellectually stimulating, and it's like, it wakes me up, but these are, that one, and today's, today I didn't really have that experience so much, um, and maybe it's because I slept six and a half hours, or yesterday I'd only slept like four and a half, um, anyway, but with the emergence there was again this kind of process of like we're listening we were trying to find this like arc the collective field and feel into it and hear it and what is emerging out of it and then share you know what we're finding and uh yeah it's fascinating uh, i want to do more of that kind of work um i was speaking and we went into breakout sessions twice one of them was 10 minutes and one of them was 20 and I was speaking to my groups about how, for me, this was challenging in the sense that, like in the second group, I got into this a little deeper. I realized, like, when I go outside, like where I'm at now, and I'm sitting in nature, it's easy for me to just, like, go into quiet and, and just be. Because nature is not demanding that I communicate there's no the energy of nature is kind of quiet and still right like well i, I shouldn't just say that because it also has stormy qualities like nature has made all these qualities too but like right now it's a sunny day the wind has pretty much stopped as i've been doing this recording and the only sense of lack of stillness is coming from this the cars driving by on the road the bridge near me and also the construction the sounds of trucks and people at the factory across the river and then there's some work being done behind me that's not quite as active but um it's all human and so when i was in the group i was saying you know i'm in this group this community of humans and we humans are such doers we're so creative that i want like for me to just sit quietly with other humans is like no like i want to create with you guys i want to hear what you have to say i want to feel i want to tune into that so the the idea of just being like calm and listening and then like discerning when to speak like it's challenging because i'm very much a person you know it's my personality my enfp personality i want to i'm an extrovert i want to you know and i'm verbose and i'm active and energetic and i want to I, if I feel like there's a group of people and everybody's too quiet, I'm like, okay, I'm good at making the energy, getting the energy going, so I'll, I'll do it, you know? And so, um, so it was a really interesting experience just from that perspective of like, Brian, you don't need to do it. And so, and then I remember like both times, but especially the first time, I felt this tension in my, in my chest of like, like, and I realized that yesterday, like, the, the reason it was in the chest was, like, my heart wanted to connect with these people. But to do that, I wanted to use words because, you know, I wanted to get the energy going because we're on a, 
we're not in a shared uh, physical space for on a Zoom call, you know. So um, anyway, that was really an interesting experience. But the point here, let, let me see if I can tie this into kind of our uh, our cultural experience right now and how in the in the COVID era there was all of a sudden this kind of forced slowing down for many people collectively. And I'm just speaking in generalizations here because I know some people had to work more and, you know, um, I get it. But hold on, I'm going to have a drink here. I'll wet the throat a little bit. Um, There was this forced slowing down and... Now there seems to be here in late February 2021, you know, the numbers, the statistics are that the pandemic is is receding and um, that it looks like by spring, summer, you know, like we're going to be moving out of this like one way or another. And I was watching um, the most recent episodes of Rising the hill rising and the last one i watched was crystal balls balls radar and it was about you know how much wealth transfer happened during this pandemic and we know i mean i think a lot of people know about you know the the jeff bezos's and the bill gates and the elon musk like the super wealthy how much they made but the report was also talking about the people in the managerial professional classes like how they've done well and improve their lot and meanwhile you know that money came from somewhere and it came from people on the bottom and you know and like how the job prospects like if you don't have a college degree like it's just becoming a lot harder and tighter and this ties into this topic of collective trauma and what i'm speaking to here because people are going to have to hustle even more hustle even more and like when you're in that mindset you're not able to it becomes, I should just, I shouldn't say not able to, but it becomes a lot harder to deal with the trauma you're experiencing. And the culture we're living in traumatizes people by forcing them into that situation. The economic uh, paradigm we're living in, the system we're living in, it's creating trauma when you feel, because here's the thing, like, it's survival. It's, you know, like do this or die. And that's like the most traumatizing thing when you're in a situation where like I have to keep doing all this hard work and, and if I don't do it, I'm going to die. Like that's, you know, and you can hear how my voice, I sped up a little bit because I was trying to feel into that. And that's what it is. It's like hustle, 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 hurry, hurry. And I felt that in my every visit I've gone back to America, I felt that sense of like hustle has increased we're here in japan and this could just be my lived experience but i don't think so so much because that hasn't increased like the inflation really hasn't increased here the cost of living like all these things that you know in america like yet the wages aren't going up i mean the minimum wage i mean all these issues that uh (laughs) yet for the managerial classes, 
there has been this disconnect where like their wages get to increase and they're increasing exponentially. And like, you know, I was watching, <sighs> trying to slow down a bit here, but I was watching, I read uh, James Howard Kunstler's latest blog post and it was about, you know, his kind of, one of his beats over the last few years has been the, the woke movement and uh, critical race theory and all this stuff. And his most recent column was about a woman at Smith College in Western Massachusetts who was my age, graduated from college in 93, I believe. Um, she graduated from Smith, this, the same college, and now she was working as like a, I don't know, on staff. Like she wasn't a professor, but she was working as like a dorm room like counselor, I believe. And anyway... The college was demanding of her that she, you know, own up to her white privilege and all this and that. And she was like, no. And this this is like last fall, I think, late last summer, fall. And then she posted this YouTube video about it, which I watched this morning. And long story short, she, uh, the college basically, I think they forced her to quit. And then they, and then like she was going to. Like she was still talking, and so they're like, they basically what I, I was thinking, what's the term for this? They offered her hush money to shut up, and she refused. And now she's, I think she's suing the college, but she started a GoFundMe page to raise money for her expenses and her legal expenses, and she had a goal of one hundred fifty thousand dollars, and has exceeded that. And now on her page, she's she's like at two hundred twenty-five thousand dollars, and she's like all the money beyond one hundred fifty thousand dollars. She's donating to help other people like her in that you know in the in these kind of situations where anyway I'm kind of I'm kind of did lose my train of thought here how I got onto this but um yeah oh yeah I remember so the president of the college you know she's supported this firing of this woman and all this and she's supported this you know you guys all have to sign you know basically as consular described it this stalinist kind of we all have to agree that you know white guilt and white privilege and all this right we all have to think the same and if you don't do it then you know and uh you know as this woman was okay i'll finish that sorry the president of the college her salary annual salary is like five hundred and twenty thousand dollars a year <laughs> And when I read that, I was like, man, I don't even know if I've made $500,000 in my life. <laughs> I'm serious. I'm seriously like, I'm not being facetious. Like my annual salary as an ALT for 16 years never went up until this last year when it went up by $50 a month. And then <laughs> because of the taxes and that were increased in October, 40 of those dollars were taken away, like 42 of those dollars. It's like an $8 increase. And uh, I remember at the meeting last year being like, yeah, this is really, I'm glad they're giving us this raise, but it felt kind of like a Band-Aid, you know, like, uh. And all my friends were like, oh, I think this is great, man. I can fly back to America. And, you know, it was like, I couldn't even express, like, the fact that it was, like, kind of, in Japanese, I have a word for cheap, catchy. I was like, a little bit catchy, you know? Um, but yeah, great. But anyway, the salary here amounted to about $30,000 a year for 16 years. So I guess, like, I'm doing the math in my head real quick. That's like $480,000, right? So, you know, um, 
And I granted, I know my job didn't have near the responsibilities of being president of a liberal arts college in Massachusetts. But, you know, the point is when I read 520, I think I'm getting that number right. It was over $500,000 a year. I thought, wow, you know, like that's a lot of fucking money. And um, without going too far into my thoughts on that, because, I'm, you know, I'm not connected. I know like this and the cost of living has gone up. But, you know, colleges are so expensive nowadays. And like a lot of the reason for that, because, you know, I've done some research into this, that is because of the the salaries of all the administrators and, you know, and the professors to some degree, too. And but it's more the administrative class. Um and, and so students are, you know, so the, and a lot of these people are Gen X, but baby boomers and probably even more in the administrative classes. But, and so all the millennials and Zoomers are going into these massive, massive amounts of college debt, you know, college loan debts that they can't pay off and feeling the stress and again, the trauma of that. And like, how am I going to survive? And then you got Joe Biden, who, you know, says, I don't know, I think it was an interview from 2019. He's like, I got no empathy for them, you know, <laughs> you know, and it's like he talks about his background. And it's like, dude, when you guys, when the baby boomers came of age, like you had it economically. I'm, I don't know. I'm not I can't speak to his individual experience so much, but collectively you had it so much fucking easier than the Zoomers and the millennials, you know. Don't I mean just on that one issue alone on the cost of college, like just look at the numbers, you know. Um you had it way easier. Look at the cost of a house, you know. I mean, just give me a fucking break. And so this idea that the culture, the 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 greed and the and the kind of the holding on to the wealth by retirees and you know, I mean I'm don't want to point strictly the finger but it is the baby boomers you know there is that's where most of the wealth is and you know gen x has some of it too but um and how can the culture survive when you guys are just like gathering up more and more of this money and then justifying it and then using i'm getting really far afield but using you know critical race theory and all this like woke identity politics to distract us and make us fight amongst each other and tell us that oh we're privileged because we have white skin color and stuff and it's like ah it's just anyway i'm walking now um because i'm gonna wind this up but uh that 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 was starting to get into the other topic that really is on my mind like i've had some ideas about start writing some blog posts this week but i haven't i've just been kind of busy with a few other things and uh but yeah, the that topic. I think. Excuse me. Sorry, a couple burps are. Um, I think I'll save that for a future future wrap because it's 35 minutes. So um, anyway, I just want. You, uh, I, I'll close by saying that this collective trauma, I think, is a really, really important framing, and I experienced the upside of it today, which is collective healing. How in a group. Like one person will be like the <laughs> I was gonna say victim, but the uh, the client I don't know that's not the right word, but okay the client, and then you've got the, the the psychologist, and he'll be working with them individually, but the group as it works out through the group, like 
we help heal her and like we're healing too and you know it's a really it's a fascinating model and like I said I'm I I I intuitively grasped this last summer and to now be in this point in the end of February where I experienced that this model has been practiced like this guy's been doing this work for 20 years I don't know how long he's been framing it around collective trauma but he's been working with Holocaust survivors and he lives in Israel and you know um, Palestinians and you know anyway so it's just fascinating that and I'm really extremely grateful that I was able to experience it and I'm looking forward to exploring it further and uh, yeah okay thanks for listening and uh, we'll catch you on the other side